No Patrick Line, no Adam Fantilli, no problem. Welcome back into the program, everybody. Good morning, hockey, here on the Alethio Podcast Network. No Raven today. We got Brendan Tegatoff on the ones and twos back there on the lovely soundboard back there for us today. So I hope everybody's having a lovely Wednesday. We are going to talk a little bit about hockey. We're going to talk a little bit about the All-Star game, a little bit about the games last night, only two games last night, and only three games tonight before we get a little bit of a rest and we get to see how much fun everybody's having over in Toronto for All-Star weekend. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the games last night. Columbus gets the win 1-0 over the St. Louis Blues. Two games last night, only three goals scored, and only two went by a goalie. We had an empty netter in the San Jose Sharks game. That came courtesy of Jan Ruda. They defeat the Seattle Kraken 2-0. First shutout of the season for Columbus since January 13th, 2022. And I had to read that twice. I thought it meant 2023 when I first read it. And it was 2022. So a very long time, over 700 days for Columbus getting a shutout. You know that one felt really good for Elvis Merz Lickens. Um, the celebration afterward indicative of that. That was a big weight off his chest, you could see. And the Columbus Blue Jackets walk into St. Louis. They get a win that maybe they felt like that nobody felt like they were going to get, and they walk away with it. And Merzlikens was very good. Jordan Bennington was also very good for the Blues. was kind of a odd neutral zone trap kind of game. Not a lot of um, fluidity through the neutral zone with a lot of uh, the play, and it was kind of a slow game. I have to admit, it was a bit of a slow game. So was the San Jose-Seattle game. They don't get off the hook for providing us with a performance like that. However... It is close to a break. You um, totally understand that sometimes these players' minds are elsewhere. They're only human. They've been going for a very long time since October, and now they get a break unless you are a all-star representative. So Boone Jenner for Columbus will be headed to Toronto. But uh, a lot of those guys will get a little bit of rest, a little bit of relaxation, sun in most cases. So um, you could hardly blame them if their mind was a little bit elsewhere last night and we'll see how the games end up tonight like i said only three around the board this evening um but the ones last night it was the 10th career shutout for elvis merzlikens which ties him with pascal leclerc on the um columbus blue jackets all-time winning or all-time shutouts list only behind sergey Bobrovsky, who i think we should do we'll do a little bit of a segment here just on um Sergey Bobrovsky's time with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Obviously, we know he won two Vesna trophies. He won a Vesna when the Blue Jackets did not make the playoffs. Um, that was a controversial, controversial subject, if uh, you could call it that. I don't think anybody really debates it now. Looking in hindsight, he was the best goaltender in the league that year. But there was a lot of debate about giving the best goalie in the league award to a goaltender whose team did not make the playoffs, and I don't necessarily disagree with that when looking at it from afar but that season was just excellent for Sergey Sergey Bobrovsky and you have to think I mean he dominates all of the Columbus Blue Jackets goaltending records wins shutouts games played all of the above and he has 33 shutouts by the way in case you were wondering and you have to wonder about the history of the Columbus Blue Jackets there's been a lot of different goaltenders play for Columbus over time. If you look at the all-time list, you have Steve Mason on there. Obviously, he won the Calder Trophy, led the Blue Jackets to the playoffs his first year, set the set a or tied or set the rookie shutout mark with ten in that first season. He has nineteen for his Columbus career, and 
you know, you have goaltenders like Mark Denis, who is right up there. He has 12 shutouts, so above Merzlikens and um, Pascal Leclerc. Sorry, a lot of names going around. And then you look down the list, and, you know, other than Sergei Bobrovsky, a lot of the career save percentages for a lot of Columbus netminders hover between the 900 mark and the 905, 906, 907 mark. But if you look at early on, Ron Tugnut, who was one of the first goaltenders for the Columbus Blue Jackets in the expansion era of the team, the dawn of the Columbus Blue Jackets, his career save percentage is a 9-10. So credit to Ron Tugnut, honestly, for carrying what was a very early iteration of the Columbus Blue Jackets to at least some sort of respectability with a very solid save percentage that still stands the test of time as far as the rest of goaltenders in franchise history. Um, so enough geeking out on the Columbus all-time Blue Jackets goaltenders list. But um, two shutouts last night, like I said. The other belonging to Mackenzie Blackwood, who seems to be reviving his career, facing a lot of shots every night for the San Jose Sharks. That was his first shutout since we're going back even further. December 8th, 2021. That was a 3-0 win over the Philadelphia Flyers when he was a member of... The New Jersey Devils, and he, that is that is now Mackenzie Blackwood's ninth in the National Hockey League. The um, the uh, the Sharks get a win, and I don't know, like I said about the Columbus Blue Jackets regarding the St. Louis Blues. I think if you would put a gun to somebody's head and said who's winning last night, I think they would have said the Blues and the Kraken, and we walked away with a Blue Jackets and a Sharks win. Uh, Mark Edward Vlasic has been an excellent story through the. Especially the last couple of weeks, he's been just very, very good um, for the Sharks. And I think it, it's a relief off of him. We're going to get a quote from Drew Bannister later, but I really searched hard to try and get a clip from Mark Edward Vlasic last night. That He was really, for me, outside of the goaltending, one of the stories of the night last night. And he's been a story for even the last few games. It was his 1,267th career NHL game last night. He played just over 20 minutes, marking the fourth time in the last nine games he's played over 20 minutes. And during a season in which we've seen Mark Edward Vlasic scratched a lot this season, I think it feels good. He has now scored, I'm trying to look up just how many goals he's scored. I think it was three in his last five games, and then he scored again last night. The Sharks won three to um, no, they, they won 2-0 last night, but I'm clicking through this nicely done article about him. It is in the Mercury News. It is written by Curtis Pichelka, and um, that was San Jose's fourth win in their last five games. And look, we're going to see some of these teams that are out of the race now. I'm looking at a team maybe like Ottawa, who we'll see in action tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. How many games do you win when you're out of it? And I think we talked a little bit about this earlier in the week, but... You know, there's something to be said about the the early season excitement that powers a lot of teams to wins. You think of teams like the Washington Capitals and the Philadelphia Flyers, who may be on a bit of a slide right now heading into the break. Um, and we'll see how far that slide takes them, if it drags them all the way out of the playoffs or if it is correctable for John Tortorella coach team. But nonetheless, you have these teams like the Ottawa Senators and the San Jose Sharks and the Anaheim Ducks, and those two will face off again tonight. Um, but... How many wins do you collect when the wins don't really matter? When you know the games are easier and you know that you're out of a playoff race and you know that even winning the game might not even do much for you or even the team across from you, such as the case maybe in a game like tonight with the Sharks taking on the Ducks. Um, 
yes, it is difficult to win in the National Hockey League, and it is a learned skill. You have to learn what it takes to put together a full 60-minute effort. You need to develop those repetitions. You need to develop the habits that it takes in order to be a consistently successful team in the NHL and winning games towards, regardless of the time of year, if it's at the end of the season, if it's at the beginning of the year, or in this middle time frame here. It's always good to develop those habits, develop those skills. The San Jose Sharks are a young team. You've got players like Will Eklund on the team who had two assists last night. How do you do? Um, it's important for a guy like him and maybe even some of the younger D-man that they're trying to break in. I watched a lot of Shakir Mukhamadoulin last night. He was okay with the puck. Obviously, it's a bit of a struggle. It's his first couple of NHL games. You could tell that sometimes he felt a little bit under pressure with some of the Four check of the Seattle Kraken, he would easily give the puck over to the other team. And that that's a young defenseman trait that'll be easily correctable. Um, and he'll gain more confidence as his games played go up in the NHL. Um, but I think overall, it, it is important to note that you don't just want to be a team that when all is said and done, you are never really in the playoffs from the time the puck drops on the beginning of the season. But then when the end of the season comes, you win a bunch of games. And I don't want to poke fun at maybe a team like the Buffalo Sabres. I'm a really big fan of the Swords. Um, but they maybe have been a team that in recent years, they'll win a lot of games at the end of the season. They'll provide their fans and even the rest of the National Hockey League and people who are watching with a, let's say, a false sense of hope and optimism that maybe things are going to turn around the following season. Um, things are a bit different in Ottawa where you have a constant um, influx of new talent and players. Every summer seems to be the summer of the Ottawa Senators, and this is the time that it's different. Um, this season did not end up being different for the Ottawa Senators, and I think they have a lot of internal lookings that they have to do with that organization and some of their personnel. But it is still you don't want to get into that habit you know you want to understand the importance of the games right from the puck drop two points is two points regardless of what month it is yes but you want to always keep yourself in playoff contention i think the buffalo sabers are really starting to learn that as an organization i think that now i mean especially we're going to see after this all-star break that you know which teams really want to employ that mentality which teams want to push the envelope further, see how far they can win, really lay everything out on the line, even in the months like February. January, I mean, is obviously passed us by. Welcome to the last day of the month of January. Um, but it is still, it, it's very interesting. We're going to we're gonna see how it goes. So good on San Jose getting a win last night. You know it must feel good for a guy like David Quinn, too, who's really coaching this team hard. He's really trying to get them to play the right way and to um, stick to the integrity of the game. And sometimes when you're a team like San Jose and you're out of a game early, sticking with the process, really understanding that there is game left to go and that you're never really out of it too. Um, so good good on the Sharks. I, this is a long-winded way of me saying it's good on the Sharks. Tonight's game, on, honestly, with the, the Anaheim Ducks, I think might be the most interesting on the board tonight. I know we have the Kings at taking on the Predators in Nashville tonight. So um, that that's going to be an interesting one. They're all really interesting ones tonight. I think the NHL did a good job. I know a lot of people are complaining about the lack of hockey this week. But, hey, I would rather take one, two, and three games on the week as opposed to no games the entire week and have everybody on their bye this week. I think it's nice that they've kind of eased us into the All-Star break and we get a little bit of hockey here tonight. So I'm looking forward to that tonight. Um, Sharks at Ducks. We'll see maybe if... Um, 
We'll see if Mackenzie Blackwood gets a start tonight. I would assume it's Kapo Kakinen for the Sharks going in net tonight. But you never know, coming off a shutout, that maybe they turn to Blackwood again this evening if he's still feeling up for it. He didn't face too much rubber against the Kraken last night. But um, we'll see who goes for the Sharks. I, I'd assume also it's John Gibson for the Ducks, but we'll see how the net mining matchups go. We have yet to have any morning skates yet. It's a bit early in the morning. We're the earliest hockey show that comes out on the day. So... Um, the other game on the day, actually, first, before we, before we get back into the, do you have the clip, Brendan, of Drew Bannister talking about the Blues last night? Yes, sir, I do. Let's, let's get that on, and we'll do a little Blues before we go into the games tonight. <clears throat> Not at all. Well, I mean, yeah, we did. We didn't, we, we didn't play well enough to, to win a hockey game here tonight. No question about that. Well, uh, the first period, I mean, we were, we weren't skating, we weren't engaged at all, um, you know, the second period, I thought we, we started to skate a little bit more, but again, we, we were playing cute hockey, and cute hockey doesn't win at this level. Was it from top to bottom, would you say? Yeah, I would think so. We had every, everybody was, was past here tonight. There was, there was no one that really stood out and, and led the way and got us going. You were saying this morning, kind of what we built here and too much to lose. Are you yeah, surprised by the result? Yeah, I'm not, not surprised by the result, by, by how we played. But surprised by how we reacted and, and, and played the game and started the game, no question. Looking forward to the break, is that? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it, it, the break's the break. Like the break's ends after the game. We had a we had a hockey game here to play, and it was two important points, and we let let it slip away. So that was Drew Bannister about the Blues' performance last night. Obviously, Dmitry Voronkov getting the only goal in the game and. Like I said, Elvis Merzlikens with the shutout of the St. Louis Blues in St. Louis, I might add. Um, so obviously not pleased. That was it's nice to uh, put a face to the name for Drew Bannister and hear his voice and hear him really chat about his team. I know that that's, that information has probably been available to me available to me for a while now, but um, just hearing him talk about his performance and the, his team's performance. You know that the Blues have gotten better since he's been behind the bench. You've seen some more consistency out of players like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. I mentioned Pavel Buchnevich yesterday on the program, talking about just how excellent he's been for the team. Um, and the goaltending's really held up. A lot of the depth players are really good. Sorry, I needed to sip the coffee. Um, but bit of a lifeless effort last night for the Blues, um, and you can hardly blame them. I know that Drew Bannister's not going to use the the break is a valid excuse, as you heard there, but um, you can't really blame these players. Like I said, they go really hard. They play 82 games. That's a lot of games. Um, and a break, when you have a break looming, such as this one upcoming, it's hard to maybe divert your mind a little bit from it. The quote earlier, I know I'm bouncing around here a little bit, but I, this was the quote from Mark Edward Vlasic that I was looking for and wanted to get on a clip, but the best we can do is me reading it here to you. And I think it's really interesting because he was, like I said, he was healthy scratched a bunch earlier on in the season. And even when he was playing, he was still playing under 15, under 14 minutes even at times. So um, the quote here, I've played well. Like I said, I've been skating, making plays. Who would have thought that I can still play this game? Who would have thought I can still play this game? That is Mark Edward Vlasic talking about. His own play. And Mark Edward Vlasic can still play this game. You hearken back to maybe the old Roberto Luongo quote years ago, my contract sucks. Um, I don't think Mark Edward Vlasic would say his contract necessarily sucks. 
that being the eight-year $56 million extension he signed a long time ago, which now has two more years on it after this one. That makes it difficult to move a piece like Mark Edward Vlasic unless the San Jose Sharks want to retain salary, which they already do on the Eric Carlson deal. I don't know if they have any other retained salary. Um, We'll see. We'll see. Um, There is talk of maybe a buyout for Mark Edward Vlasic, allowing him to move on on his own accord and play maybe for a Stanley Cup contender somewhere else, maybe on a cheaper deal. But I don't know that the San Jose Sharks organization has a huge appetite to put a bunch of dead money on their cap. Um, That would put about $10 million on their cap next season of dead money and then $8 million the year after. So I don't know that there's a huge appetite for that. I think their preference is to keep Mark Edward Vlasic in San Jose, help shepherd along the next generation of Sharks young young defensemen. Um, You have players like Kalen Addison, too. I mentioned Muka Madulin. Um, there's guys there. I mean, there there are definitely pieces in San Jose, and obviously whoever they add at the upcoming draft this year, they hope it's Mecklen Celebrini, but we'll see how the balls fall when it comes to the lottery. Um, so Mark Edward Vlasic can still play, and I think that relying, not relying on him is only going to do you issues, right? You have this, this piece that's a part of your team that you're paying so much money and have him sit on the sidelines for no apparent reason doesn't really do your team or your organization any benefit. So giving him the opportunity, giving him over 20 minutes a night, regardless of the the outcome or the circumstances, just give Mark Edward Vlasic his 20 minutes and have him help your team because, honestly, he is helping your team. Maybe too much if that's your goal here, if you're really organizationally trying to tank, which I know no teams will say that they ever tank in the National Hockey League, but... They definitely do. Don't don't put any wits about it. You can look at some of the lineups and some of the rosters on the ice and some of the rosters that these teams just carry with them, and you know that it is an organizational order to tank. Not that the general manager of a team would ever say to a team to tank. A team of players is always going to try their hardest when they're on the ice, and they are never trying to purposely lose a game, as we saw when they won 2-0 last night. But, you know, I'm sure that it's not in the happiest and best interest of Sharks GM, Mike Greer, that they've won four of their last five. So maybe that is part of it with Mark Edward Vlasic. Um, Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm overthinking things, but you never really know. And like I said about the Blues, um, it's hard not to look ahead when when you have a break like that. I'm sure a lot of these guys are tired. I'm sure a lot of these guys are excited for a bit of a rest, a bit of a recharge. Think about it with St. Louis, too. Um, This team was thoroughly out of a playoff spot, kind of an afterthought when compared to the Western Conference and who was going to make the playoffs. You had Dan Minton Oilers, who were struggling at the beginning of the season, almost still guaranteed a playoff spot by about half of hockey analysts, even though they were so far out of it, and all those people ended up being right. Edmonton is currently on a 16-game win streak that we have to wait for to see if they tie the all-time record. Um, But... The Blues were really never thought of as a playoff contender, and now they find themselves right in the thick of it. Obviously, um, obviously, the uh, the Kraken losing yesterday is a big boon for the St. Louis Blues. Um, I'm sure the Blues losing was a boon for the Kraken, also vice versa. But um, we're going to see who ends up making it, both in the Western Conference and in the Eastern Conference. I feel like with the West, it's a bit more of teams backing in to a certain situation. Whereas in the East, you you have teams winning games and trying to make the playoffs. And not that anybody in the West isn't trying to make the playoffs. Like I said, don't take anything I say out of context. But um, 
it is a bit of a lull into the Western Conference wildcard spots, at least. We're seeing a bit of uh, battling and a lot of entertainment when it comes to the top three spots in each Western Conference division. But the wildcard, man, it's a... Um, it's a bit of a crapshoot right now. It's a bit of who wants it on any given night. I would say any of these teams that are hanging around Nashville, Arizona, these kinds of clubs, they are still very much in it. There is um, a lot of opportunity for any of these clubs to still make the playoffs. Um, but right now that spot is currently occupied by the Blues. We'll see how that um, break does for them, if they'll come back a bit more refreshed and recharged. They're still 6-1-3 and three in their last 10 Um and the Drew Bannister effect is definitely working. I think he's a, a bit of a calmer guy than maybe Craig Brube was, a bit more of a relaxed guy, but still someone that's not afraid to voice their displeasure as to what they see on the ice relative to what they are told to do on the ice. So, um, like I said, the, the Sharks will take on the Ducks tonight. That is one that I will keep my eye on. That is the late game tonight. But the national broadcast game here in the United States is the Kings visiting the Nashville Predators. And we were talking about teams that are vying for wildcard spots currently in the Western Conference, and those two teams are teams that w are going at it. I mean, if anybody's going to hunt down the St. Louis Blues, it very well might be the Nashville Predators and the Los Angeles Kings. Yes, they are currently in a playoff spot. They are in a playoff spot comfortably by um, points percentage when it is compared to the other Western Conference wildcard um, viers. But if... If the Kings don't correct things quickly and if they don't really start winning hockey games and string, stringing wins together, Los Angeles might fall out of the playoffs, which was almost unheard of and almost unthinkable about a month, a month and a half ago when they were setting road winning streaks coming out of the gate and doing all of these incredible things, looking unbeatable. Cam Talbot looked like a brick wall in the net. The defense looked really staunch. The offense looked really potent and deep. And now everything's kind of dried up. Everybody seems to be confused as to what spot they are currently occupying and for how long and who their line mates potentially are. A lot of line juggling for Todd McClellan. And things are really interesting in St. In, uh, Louis, in, in Los Angeles. I, um, I have St. Louis on the mind. But no, um, there, look, there's a lot of calls for Todd McClellan's job. I still think he's a very good coach. I still think that it's more of a player personnel issue in Los Angeles and maybe not necessarily who they have on the team, but maybe maybe the impact that those guys are making on the ice and the effort that those guys are providing. And look, I know everybody in the NHL, some, the worst thing you can do to a National Hockey League player is call him soft. That is the number one no, no, that is the number one. Those guys don't really take well to being called soft. And who would, first of all? But when you're talking to a National Hockey Leaguer, calling them soft is the, the number one critique you could give to a hockey player. The second one is maybe questioning effort. And that that gets done a lot more. It gets done by coaches. It gets done by teammates. It gets done by analysts. But um, the effort maybe of some of the Los Angeles players coupled by maybe some regression to the mean as far as the defense and the goaltending may be what's leading this spiral of the Los Angeles Kings. They're 2-5-3 and three in their last 10. They, um, they have a sub-500 home record, which is probably a bit concerning if you're the Kings. And the wheels seem to be falling off the bus a little bit here. And I don't know if that necessarily means a big move. I don't know if that necessarily means a uh, coaching change, if it means someone big going on waivers, although I doubt that it's that last one. 
we'll see about a big trade. Obviously, I'm not here to uh, put speculation and rumors out there. I don't want to be a rumor boy here. But um, I did hear that there is a talk. I mean, we'll see in this matchup tonight. UC Soros, who is pretty excellent in that game, even though they they blew a 3-0 lead to the Ottawa Senators on Monday. UC Soros was phenomenal for, for the Nashville Predators in that one. And they have a young goaltender, Yaroslav Askarov. And from my understanding and the understanding of others, it appears as if Nashville is content going in either way, meaning they would be happy to go young and trade some of their veteran pieces, whether they are... I, look, I don't think they're moving Roman Yossi. I don't think they're moving Philip Forsberg. I don't think they're moving even a piece like Ryan O'Reilly, who they just signed in the offseason and has been excellent. But... I do think that they would be content going either way. So whether that is moving another veteran piece, maybe a Luke Shen, although I don't think Luke Shen, I think his cap hits a bit too high to be moved to another club right now and the term a bit too rich. But maybe some of these other guys to sort of clear out maybe some spots for some of the younger players. And one of the pieces right now that could be bandied about is UC Saros, netminder. And we know that... Um, Yaroslav Askarov, the younger of the two netminders, was potentially part of a package that was going to be sent to the Montreal Canadiens to move up into the fifth overall spot last year at last year's draft. We know that Nashville wanted to make a splash and potentially uh, have a top five pick in a draft that they were hosting. That did not end up working out. They ended up drafting Matthew Wood out of UConn and Tanner Molendyke later on in the draft. But... Um, we know that that was on the table. So Nashville is content going either way. And this is a long-winded way of me saying that, one, this game against the Kings and the Predators is going to be very interesting. I think if the Predators win, the Kings really have some questions to look at themselves in the mirror and ask during the All-Star break. And for Nashville, that would just be an excellent win. That would put them five wins over the Los Angeles Kings, even though the Kings have a lot more OT shootout losses, loser points, as we like to call them and a higher winning percentage. But um, I don't think that it would be totally out of the realm of possibility if UC Soros was moved to the Los Angeles Kings. Not necessarily saying, look, Cam Talbot is the Los Angeles Kings representative at the All-Star game, but I don't know necessarily. And look, we all saw how frustrated Cam Talbot was when the Minnesota Wild brought in Marc-Andre Fleury last year. That was a big a point of contention for Cam Talbot. He had developed a relationship in Minnesota. He had been there a while and felt that they had kind of discarded him with the acquisition of Flurry. And now it's kind of Flurry's net. Obviously, they have um, Philip Gustafson, who, too, who they acquired moving Cam Talbot to the Ottawa Senators. But um, it is still, you know, you're, you know, you've had this guy and he's played so well for you over the season and he's an NHL all-star and he's a He's an older veteran. It might be his last NHL All-Star game. He's a good family man, a really good guy. And you have to wonder if, man, you're really going to do this again to him. And the other part of it, too, is if you go in and you bring in a big piece like a UC Soros, one, you're going to have to give up a top prospect or a top player on the team. I've heard that the piece is Quentin Byfield. I would not do that if I were the Los Angeles Kings, though I could understand why a team like the Nashville Predators would want a player like Quentin Byfield. Who wouldn't? But the... um. The point being is if UC Soros falters or if he gets injured, you're going to have to turn to Cam Talbot anyways come playoff time or come down the stretch. 
And if you've already upset him and discouraged him by bringing in another big-time goaltender, maybe the results aren't what they would have been if you had just stuck the course and hoped for a bit of a different result. And look, I've also heard the Jacob Chickering to Los Angeles rumors. That would be an interesting deal to get done. It would say a lot about both teams. One, that Los Angeles isn't really afraid of going for it. And two, that the Ottawa Senators feel that they need to move in a bit of a different direction. Look, I've talked about the lefty-righty balance on the Ottawa defense. I still feel like that is something that they want to attain, meaning that, in my opinion, if Jacob Chicken were to go to Los Angeles, that would bring back a piece like Brant Clark, maybe, Ottawa native, to the Senators' right-shot defenseman who hasn't really been given much of an opportunity in the National Hockey League. I could definitely see that happening. Um, man, I said I didn't want to be a rumor boy, and here I am just spilling rumors. Um, let's talk a little Jake Gensel. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. But... Um, We'll see, we'll see how this Kings-Predators game goes tonight. Obviously, this is a big game before the break. If uh, you are the Los Angeles Kings, you do not want to see what Drew Bannister saw behind the St. Louis Blues bench last night, which is a team that is has their mind and one eye on their break upcoming and maybe hitting a beach somewhere. It might be a little different for the Kings because they are not wasting away in some of these cold-weather markets like some of these other clubs, like the Ottawa Senators, if you're them. But um, I don't think Ottawa or Detroit will will really come at it. Man, only three games tonight, but the NHL did a nice job by setting us up with good games that have a bit of intrigue to them, that um, have a little bit of depth to them too. So we'll see how all of those games go. Um, I'm really excited for it. It's the last night of hockey for a few days too before we get into the All-Star break. We are going to have Avery Lewis-McDougall on on Friday, I hope. Um, Thursday, obviously the, the kickoff towards all the all-star festivities, everybody's kind of gotten in there. If you're not playing NHL hockey games right now, or a part of an NHL team that is still not on their buy yet, because we know some of the teams that are not a part of these games that have been going on the last three days, um, they got their buy early so that great timing, great scheduling by the national hockey league. Honestly, I, um, I have to commend them for that, giving us a few games here, giving rest, most of the teams rest, and then they'll, they'll switch off on the, on the way back. So, um, the all-star festivities kick off tomorrow. Obviously we'll have the, the dispersal draft, the, the all-star draft. I'm really excited for that. I'm, I'm thinking about it more and more. I really, first of all, it took me a long time to realize that they were doing a draft, probably too long to realize they were doing a draft. I knew they were doing it, but you never really actually think about it and realize that these teams are not going to be composed of divisional groups like they have been in the past. The draft is going to make for some interesting um, talk, some interesting personality showing. I hope it's kind of like the Alexander Ovechkin, Phil Kessel situations of old where they both, you know, Alexander Ovechkin wanted to go last because he wanted a car. I don't know that there is any prize this time around, like the car from last time, if it comes to getting picked last in the draft. Um, we'll see about that. Um, we'll see if any guys want to pick their teammates looking at the Toronto Maple Leafs group of Matthews and Morgan Riley, seeing if they'll pick a Nylander or a Marner, or if they don't, if they choose to go off the board and choose a different hockey player. Um that should be a lot of fun. And then obviously we have the PWHL showcase afterward. That is a 20-minute three-on-three game that will take place. That, I think, is so good for the game. Raven brought it up yesterday. Um, that's a, an imperative part of the All-Star festivities in my mind. They, Like I said, we've talked about it. They've, they've done a good job of bringing in the women and showcasing the women's game. But now we have the league. Now we have everything ready to go. We have a pool of players. And I think for this... Um, this three-on-three game on Thursday, tomorrow, 
that they just pulled a lot of the players that were signed to the three special exempt contracts at the start of uh, PWHL free agency, and then they took most of the first-round picks, and they just asked them to come. So we are missing out on some good players. Natalie Spooner is one that comes to mind. Um, Grace Winkle also will not be a part of the event part of the event tomorrow, but still a lot of a great collection of talent representing the PWHL tomorrow. That should be a lot of fun. Um, we haven't really talked a lot of PWHL, so let's let's give them a minute. Um, so they're on a break right now. Obviously, they're taking their little break for themselves, kind of a midpoint um, seasonal break for them, and obviously allowing a good amount of their players to come to Toronto, um, mix in Toronto, mess, um, have some fun with the NHL crew that will be there, and obviously doing the showcase tomorrow night. The games will return Saturday. Minnesota will play Toronto. Minnesota is one of the better teams in the league. Honestly, the second best team in the league that was decided in a game last week when they lost to Montreal 2-1. to But there's still a lot of season to go. And the interesting thing about the Minnesota team is they are now being coached by a former NHLer, Ken Klee. And he was not tabbed to be the coach earlier on they were supposed to have a different coach I don't have his name right in front of him even though I probably should if I'm telling the story and Ken Klee steps in right before the season starts and a lot of people norm I mean any sport right you are expected to go in with one coach one system one um, leader one voice in that room and then right before the season you get the plug pulled and you have to go in a completely different direction my National Hockey League comparable to that, especially with him re-entering the NHL, is obviously Patrick Waugh leaving the team to um, move on and then them bringing in Jared Bednar. We've seen how that's worked out well in the long run, but it did not so much in that short term there. I think a lot of people forget that that, that first season under Jared Bednar was a tough one in Colorado. But So for PWHL Minnesota, I think a lot of people um, thought that this might be a rougher season for them, that they may be one of the teams languishing near the bottom of the standings. But they've been excellent. I mean, all around, Taylor Heisey has been as advertised as the first overall pick um, in this last draft. Um, there's a new women's hockey podcast I want to give a quick shout-out to. It's called Jocks in Jills, J-O-C-K-S in Jills, J-I-L-L-S. And they uh, just put out their first episode yesterday. It is very good. And uh, they interviewed Taylor Heisey. So that was a really good interview. Um, we're going to try and do something like that on this network. They've um, beat us to the punch, but we will uh, we will eventually have a women's hockey show on this network here trying to cover the game and these personalities like they did. And so Taylor Heisey is a really good personality for the game. Um, so go check out that podcast as well. Um, good listen. But um, Minnesota has been very good. Obviously, Montreal has been very good. Some of these teams, Toronto has not. I think that is something that they are looking to correct. The The issue has been scoring for this Toronto team, which is very interesting because they've outshot their opponents seven out of eight games. So I think a lot of it is just picking spots and getting the right opportunities, maybe following up on some second chance opportunities that present themselves to you. But the goaltending has been very good in Toronto, um, as has the goaltending really around the, the whole league. I think that you know we've talked a lot about the talent level being very high in the PWHL you know you only have six teams that a very tight collection of players um you know a very set amount of jobs there's not 32 teams and 32 teams worth of jobs as there are in the National Hockey League there are six so less than a fifth of the amount of work and less than a fifth of the amount of players so the talent level is very high, but I think what a lot of people don't get is that the talent level is also very high in the net mining side of things because 
Yes, every goaltender has played so far. Every team, every team has given their backup uh, start at the very least through the PWHL season so far. But when you look at all these team starters, you realistically have six of the best women's hockey goaltenders in the world right now. And so the numbers are very good. Everybody's very solid. Um, the fact that we've only seen three shutouts so far maybe is a bit surprising, but I think that speaks to the equal talent level of the creativity and the goal scoring ability of some of these players. Um, we've seen some very nice goals in the PWHL season so far, and I think the league is only going to get better. Um, you have people here in Chicago. I can only speak from my experience here and what I see here. And I, you know, you want to see this game grow more and more, and you want to see people who maybe not wouldn't necessarily take a look at the PWHL, um, taking a look at women's hockey, realizing how much of a fun game it is. And I've had people here throughout the city, people who are not hockey people, people who are hockey people. Um, men and women alike say that they've been seeing clips of the PWHL pop up on their um, social media timelines and they've caught games and they've heard stories and whatever it is, whatever leads you to even acknowledging the game, maybe clicking on an article, whatever it may be, I think that's all a very good thing for the game. And also coming across my desk here too, while we're on the subject of the PWHL, Soroya Tinker who was a very good player. I was a very big fan of her when she was playing. PWA, or PHF champion, Isabel Cup champion. Um, they have announced her in the PWHL as the manager of diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and community engagement. The quote here being, Soroya has already had a positive impact on the hockey community at large, and she'll be an integral part of our team. We cannot overstate the importance of pro proactively creating an environment in which diverse voices are heard and celebrated. And we know Soraya will play a vital role in support of that essential initiative while continuing as a leader in our sport and our league moving forward. That was VP of Business Operations for the PWHL, Amy Shear, talking about Tinker, who was, one, a very good hockey player, a very difficult defender to play against, I might add, in the women's hockey space. I think a lot of players would say that she was very difficult to go up against when they were playing her, and she could just as easily be playing in the league right now. Don't get that twisted at all. She definitely still has that ability, but um, she's also been on um, a color analyst for CBC, TSN, Sportsnet, covering the game, which has been very good. We've also seen a lot of different uh, women who are very well respected in the game um, covering it very well. I think that's been one of the highlights of the games so far is just the the amount of in-depth coverage we've gotten and obviously the accessibility of it. The fact that here in the United States, you can watch all the games on YouTube is a big boon for us. Um, makes it really easy. I hope eventually they do get a TV deal. But um, that that is my PWHL talk for the day. I am uh, just very thoroughly impressed. I continue to be impressed with the league more and more every time I see it. We'll uh, get an update from Avery Lewis McDougal on Friday. Like I said, we're going to have him on. That is very exciting. Big boon for us to have him as part of being able to talk to him about what's going on. He'll be boots on the ground over in Toronto for the All-Star Weekend we'll get his take on everything. I hope, like I said, I hope there is a bit of drama that comes with the um, all-star draft with some of these guys. I hope it's a bit funny. Maybe maybe there's a few drinks flying around. Maybe guys are a bit loose-lipped. I, I just hope they have fun with it. Hockey players are notoriously known for having a lack of personality. I think that's not true. I think that is the obvious hockey adage of team versus me team over me every single time, every single opportunity you get. And that's that's hockey culture. That is what hockey is about. Guys will always choose to talk about the team over themselves. They will always, um, both in the good and the bad, 
you see guys take responsibility for things, but sometimes you'll hear them in post-game pressers talk about the team, the team, the team, and that's always good, and it is, but you want to see more individuality in the National Hockey League. You want to see personality celebrated. You want to see growth in the game through that. The whole reason we're giving the PWHL the shine that it is is, one, it's good hockey, but, two, they are trying to grow the game, and that's why we're here. We're, you know, that's why we are here in this office here at Alethio, right? We're, we've all chosen our sports. We all have our um, the different shows, and the goal here is we're, we're trying to give opportunities to people in niche sports. That's why I've been a huge advocate for trying to get a women's hockey show on here eventually. Um, the F1 show, those guys on the gravel with Raven and Oliver are doing a great job, and we know that F1 is a big sport, but when you consider, especially the landscape of a, of a Chicago sports media market, a Midwestern sports media market zooming out, and even the United States and North America as a whole, I wouldn't say F1 is necessarily a big sport. It is a difficult sport to get into. It is a... Um, it's a pricey sport. It is something that normally you are um, developed into at a later time. A lot of F1 drivers don't even find their, um, their they don't even, I don't know, how, how do I explain myself, Brendan? Um, they, they don't get a chance to get behind the wheel of an F1 vehicle until a lot later in their life. It's not like it's something that you're starting at a young age and getting in a uh, car made by Red Bull or whoever, uh, McLaren. Yeah, no, exactly. You begin at like a really lower scale, like you're saying just piggybacking off what you're saying I yeah mean, yeah it's like you you start as like a go-karter or you know you like do it in simulations and then finally you hop in that high scale vehicle it's like super like you said expensive to actually get into mm, sorry taking a sip of the coffee there but um no my point exactly so the, the the reason we give the pwhl shine is not because it's just very good hockey same thing for the f1 it's not just that they're very good races they are very good races they're very good athletes at what they do it's very tough to drive a car at those speeds. Hockey, same thing. But we want to grow sports. Sports give kids opportunities. Sports keeps kids off streets. They give educations. They create lifelong friendships and connections and um, opportunities for players, whether that is in hockey, off the ice, or on the ice. Um, so that's what we're trying to do here, and that is what hockey is all about. And you know that the PWHL is doing that, and that is imperative to the growth of not only women's hockey but hockey in general because if you like hockey, women's hockey is just hockey. It is just being played by women. Um, so um, their game is awesome. I'm really looking forward to that the showcase game yes or tomorrow, yesterday. Um, not coming to you from the future. We will talk to you guys tomorrow morning. Um, but... Um, looking forward to that. I think that's really exciting. Um, elsewhere around the league, just a few news and notes. So I wanted to get that out of the way first. Obviously, the news of the day yesterday, and I want to get this right because we're not going to talk about it a lot because there's not really a lot for us to say um, other than the facts and other than what we know. We're not going to really give comment on this subject, and obviously it is the, the 2018 World Junior Team Canada situation. Um Four NHL players were charged with sexual assault in London, Ontario on Tuesday. Those players are Philadelphia Flyers goaltender Carter Hart, Calgary Flames forward Dylan Dubé, and New Jersey Devils players Michael McLeod and Cal Foote. They were all a part of the 2018 World Junior Team, obviously. They are all 25 years old. Um, they have all been charged with one count of sexual assault. Um, speaking for Hart, Megan Savard and Ria Sayani, Quote, uh, confirm he has been charged with one count of sexual assault. He is innocent and will provide a full response to this false allegation in the proper forum, a court of law. 
We also have a couple of lawyers from Michael McLeod's behalf of the um, Greenspan Humphrey Weinstein LLP in Toronto, adding, quote, McLeod denies any criminal wrongdoing. He will be pleading not guilty and will vigorously defend the case. None of the evidence has been presented, let alone tested in court. Um, going to finish off these last two lawyer um Statements here. This one is from Cal Foots representatives. Quote: Cal is innocent and in, is innocent of the charge and will defend himself against the allegation to clear his name. What is most critical at this time is the presumption of innocence and the right to a fair trial that everyone in Canada is entitled to. Lastly, the um, the quote from the representatives of Dylan Dubé. Quote: He will uh, plead not guilty and maintains his innocence. He will defend the allegations in court. Obviously, we're not going to talk about it. Um, former NHLer Alex Formanton uh, turned himself into London police in order to face the charges. His uh, lawyers said last week, quote, Alex will vigorously defend his innocence and ask that people not rush to judgment without hearing all of the evidence. London police have a news conference scheduled for Monday, so we will keep an eye on that. Obviously, not jumping to any conclusions. Yes, everybody is determined the right to be um innocent until proven guilty. Yes, this evidence has not been tested in a court of law yet. So there is no use in rushing to conclusions and rushing to predictions as to what might happen. We do not know what might happen. Um, the one thing I will comment on regarding this is the fact that um, this statement from the Calgary Flames when Dylan Dubé initially had his leave from the team granted and requested and granted was there is a bit of people upset in the hockey community, Flames fans and hockey fans alike, that the original statement by the Calgary Flames said that Dylan Dubé was taking some time away in order to attend to his mental health. A lot of fans pointed at that and said, how are we supposed to take mental health seriously if in the the big scheme of things, this is what that ended up being? And I know that that is difficult for a lot of hockey fans to understand. And look, it's a bit difficult for me to understand. I am not as vocally upset about that situation as a lot of other people are. Um, I just want to get everything right here. You never want to um, say things that aren't true with a subject as sensitive as this. But the Calgary Flames did put out a statement yesterday. And Brendan, do you think you could pull up the Calgary Flames statement about this? Okay, yeah, I got you in a second here. Yeah, sorry about that. I just want to get everything right here. We um, we don't have an opportunity to really uh, speculate on things here, nor would we really want to. There's no real point in that. We are going to let the court of law and justice do what it does and hope that um, everybody is able to heal and move on from this instance if they are the, the victim in, in this scenario. Um Who's their player involved? Dylan Dubé is the player involved from the Calgary Flames. This is also from uh, Rick Westhead. I want to read um, four of the five charged players from the 2018 Canadian team may be refused entry in the United States. This would mean that Carter Hart, Michael McLeod, Alex Formanton, and Dylan Dubé, even if they were allowed to play in the NHL during this legal process, would be limited to just Canadian-based games. Um, Cal Foote is the fifth member of this situation. He is a dual citizen of Canada and the United States, so there would not be a travel ban for him, for this particular player and person. 
Um, did you find it, Brendan, or no? I'm finding a lot of other podcasters talking about it right now. I'm just not uh, the official team. So how about like... What what coach are we thinking? No, no, it's not a coach. I I I'm almost pretty certain. I, I glanced at it for a second. Um, yeah, here it is. I found it. Um, so okay. Um, the Calgary Flames team statement yesterday. We have now become aware of the sexual of the charge of sexual assault that has been laid against Dylan Dubé. We take this matter very seriously because the matter is now pending legal proceedings. We'll have no further comment at this time. We had no knowledge of pending charges at the time Dylan's request of a a leave of absence was granted. So that is the statement from the Calgary Flames regarding the fact that they had said that mental health was the initial reason for Dylan Dubé's departure from the organization for the time being. Um, I have also heard, and this is the last bit of information before we move on, that some, some of these players may have been advised to not mention the pending charges to their team. Before that, we don't know what these players are looking at Um potential suspension wise um but like i said everybody's innocent until proven guilty so um we will see how that goes and i think there's going to be some time i think the last my bookend for this at least for right now until some other news maybe until the news conference on monday from the london police um it it is unknown as to whether a trial for this will begin before 2026 so we have some time. I don't know what that means for the playing of hockey in the interim for these guys, but I think that that is um, last on the priority list. Maybe maybe not for the players, but for, I think, everybody else involved in this situation. I think even for the organizations, the fans, especially the victim of the situation, I think playing hockey is last up on the minds of them. So... Uh, we'll move away from that. We'll we'll keep an eye on it, obviously, going into the future, but we're not going to sit around and speculate and also put blame on people and scold people. Um, the truth will come out at a later date at which we will analyze that. Moving away, we, uh, we gave the AHL its shine on Monday, as we should. It's a great hockey league, a lot of great players, lots of great teams, and a lot of great organizations. And one of the greatest and oldest organizations in the American Hockey League, one that is the standard bearer for all things that is minor league hockey and everything that is supposed to stand for and the the level of excellence that they've maintained it's the Hershey Bears and so the Hershey Bears and the Washington Capitals extend their partnership for six more years through 2029-2030 those two teams have been affiliated with each other since 2005-2006 the Hershey Bears have a AHL record 12 Calder Cup champions championships including last season when they won in overtime of game seven against the Coachella Valley Firebirds that was an excellent series one that will be talked about in AHL circles for a very long time um but they've got a good thing going in Hershey I won't spend too much time on this one in particular but the um the relationship between these two organizations might be the most fluid and congruent as far as AHL NHL partnerships I worked in an AHL organization where the NHL partnership was a bit more rocky than maybe both parties would have liked. Um, that is all I will comment on that matter. But um, I think it's very important that there is some synergy between the AHL and the NHL organizations. You see some of the best teams in the National Hockey League, both currently and in um, history's past. They, The relationship that they have with the American Hockey League team, the the trust that they have as far as player development goes, goes a long way. 
you look at some of these teams like Colorado, for instance, um, Tampa Bay on a larger scale, um, a lot of their guys who have both come and gone and won Stanley Cups, plural, and continue to be on the team now. You look at guys like Nikita Kucherov, spent a lot of time with John Cooper as his head coach in the minors, guys who have moved on, Alex Kalorn, Andre Palat, Tyler Johnson. Those guys all spent time with the Syracuse Crunch. Um, and even in this season especially, we, I've talked a little bit about it on this program with uh, regard to the Tampa Bay Lightning, but... Um, the amount of players that they've brought up in order to try and figure out the bottom half of their lineup. Um, and that is uh, a, something that comes with the the test of time and the salary cap maybe not going up as much as a team who has won two of the last three Stanley, two of the last four Stanley Cups would like. Um, I'm sure the Tampa Bay Lightning would have been able to keep some of their depth role players. I'm thinking... A lot, like I said, Kaloran leaving in free agency last year was a tough blow. I don't think Tyler Johnson was ever in the long-term plans after the second Stanley Cup win. Um, but uh, maybe some of these other pieces, right, like Blake Coleman, who left to go play for the Flames. Um, obviously, they locked in guys like Nick Paul, who was not a part of the Stanley Cup championship run. Neither was a player like Brandon Hagel. Um, but some of these other guys that they they brought up, the salary cap gets tight and um, you know, we've talked about guys like Mitchell Chaffee getting opportunities in the National Hockey League and scoring points. Um, obviously, the same thing on the back end, too. You lose a piece like Ryan McDonough. You lose um, different guys over time, and eventually that's going to add up. And uh, But Tampa Bay has done a very nice job of being able to bring pieces up, trusting what they have down with the Syracuse Crunch, and knowing that if they bring a guy up and they plug him in the lineup for one, two, five, ten games— that that player will be able to perform to the standard that they need in order to win hockey games. So Hershey extends their relationship with the Washington Capitals six more years, like I said. Um, that is just a very good team. I am a big fan of Ethan Frank. Um, I would like him to get an opportunity in the National Hockey League at some point. I don't know if he has an NHL contract yet with the um, with the Washington Capitals. I am fairly certain he is on an NHL or he's on an AHL-only deal. I'm going to do a little bit of work here for that, um, just to figure that out. Um, but that kid scores a lot. He's already scored 20 again this season, so that's back-to-back -back seasons for Ethan Frank um, with 20 goals in the American Hockey League. He's only 25 years old, so a lot of people might um, a lot of people might say that. And yes, he is signed to an NHL deal right now. He's on pace for 33 goals. He had 30 last year. He's got 20 already this year. Um, his playoffs were a bit slow, I think, by the standard he put forth for himself last year. But this guy's a player. Like, this guy is a real, real player. And I think maybe with a team like the Washington Capitals, who maybe could use a bit of scoring depth coming out of the All-Star break, maybe he's a guy that they look to be given a shot to later on. He is currently second in team scoring, tied with Joe Snively, behind Mike Scarbosa. Um, Pierre Dubé is another name on the... Um, on the Hershey Bears that I am a fan of. I think he will get an opportunity to play in the National Hockey League eventually. He's also at 20 goals. He's winning the Cy Young. He's currently in the, the running for the Cy Young Award when it comes to um, the American Hockey League right now. 20 goals, seven, 22 goals, 7 assists for Pierre Dubé. Um, he is from France. I really think that that guy is going to get a look eventually. Um, there's a lot of good hockey players in the AHL. I think we know that and understand that. We talked about it, like I said, with... Um, with uh nathan on monday but um we uh continue to see it like these guys there are players in this league that 
are ready to play in the National Hockey League, ready to get looks right now. And so that's why I personally believe um, Raven and I have also talked about expansion a good amount on this program, um, whether that be Atlanta, Houston, Utah, Quebec City, whoever. Um, is the NHL getting too watered down? And are, are we creating too many opportunities? And should there be more players in the American Hockey League playing than maybe in the National Hockey League. And there is certainly an argument to be made for that. You look at some of the performances of some of these teams that are languishing at the bottom of the standings of the NHL right now, some of these teams we've talked about, like San Jose and Chicago and the like. Um, But personally, what I think is if Chicago truly wanted to be better, they would be better. And if San Jose truly wanted to be better, they would be better. There are moves out there to make. There are pieces that you can add to augment your defense, your scoring, and your goaltending right now. Whatever kind of move you want to make, you can make it right now in the National Hockey League. I know a lot of people may hear me and scoff at that and say, hey, there's not as many players available. And what guys outside of Calgary are really available for the right price but in reality in the national hockey league everybody's available for the right price unless you're austin matthews or connor Connor mcdavid um or kale mccarr um there are certainly players that are not available right now but look if you want enough goals and if you want some more goals to be put in the back of your net give vancouver a call and try and see if you can pry away andre kuzmenko i don't think it'll take that much if you were the chicago blackhawks ditto for the calgary or calgary flames the san jose sharks so Some of these teams could definitely add pieces that would make them better teams. But we talked a little bit earlier, teams don't tank, managers tank. So um, some of these teams may look to hold off on a trade like that. I've also heard of maybe San Jose going for a goaltender. I don't know that that's necessarily in the cards for them. One, because I think the goaltenders that they have have been good in Mackenzie Blackwood and Kapokakinen. I think they've been very good and solid uh, despite the circumstances. We talked a bit about Blackwood earlier, obviously. Um, but I don't know that these teams are really itching to get better. So I think the argument that maybe the NHL is getting watered down, I don't think really holds a lot of weight here. Um, so that was a long-winded way of saying the Hershey Bears are a premier organization in the American Hockey League, and the Capitals are very lucky to have them as their affiliate. Um, what else we got? Only a couple more things here, and then we're going to wrap for the day unless anything comes across in a breaking news fashion, but... The OHL's Mississauga Steelheads, according to a report from TSN's Darren Dreger, they are moving to Brampton next year. They will move to Brampton, Ontario. We reported this a couple weeks ago here on the program, and now it seems to be finalized. The Steelheads have been in Mississauga, called the Steelheads since 2012, when they were purchased from the late Eugene Melnick, um, formerly the owner of the Ottawa Senators. Um, that Then they were called the Mississauga St. Michael's Majors, um, and they moved from west, west from Toronto. They are a good team in the uh, Ontario Hockey League sphere right now. They have a draft prospect in Luke Misa that looks very good. He looked very good at the CHL Top Prospects game last week um they made the playoffs um last season they lost in the first round um to the north bay battalion a team that originally played played in brampton how ironic um but we'll see how this goes i don't know if this necessarily means a long-term departure for an ohl team in mississauga it might um but we'll we'll see about the brampton organization we'll see how that works and works out 
Um, obviously, we had the Hamilton Bulldogs moving to Brant Ford last year. Um, that move claiming to only be temporary. So we'll see about this one. This one seems like a less surefire, we're going to return to the market at some point kind of move. This seems like a we are moving the franchise to a new location and a new community to try establish try and establish uh, new roots. So uh, we'll see about that. We'll see who the buyer of the Mississauga Steelheads ends up being and maybe how much they go for. I think that's um, kind of an unknown. We're, we're seeing the, the, the price of NHL franchises go up and up and up over time. And with each new passing sale and which, with each new um, expansion fee being paid, getting closer to a billion dollars, um, I wonder if that has a trickle-down effect on the the sale and prices of some of these Ontario Hockey League and Canadian Hockey League organizations. Um, so we'll also see about a new name and what some of these players do. Sometimes relocation in junior hockey is very tough. We saw that a bit with the move of the Winnipeg Ice in the Western Hockey League to become the Wenatchee Wild, who were already an organization. They were already a junior A organization that had their own players and their own schedule and league that they played in. And the owners of the organization decided to move up. And that is what they did, and those players had to find new places to play. That was a big issue in the junior hockey sphere. And um, I know it's been a bit of a struggle as far as the early goings in the WHL go for the Wenatchee Wild. They obviously had to fire their coach for good reason. Earlier on in the season, there was an incident locker room that um, I won't get into specifics about because I don't know the exact details. But um, I heard it was not a great transgression and... They've moved on from some of the pieces like Connor Geeky and Matt Savoy that were cornerstone parts of the organization for a long time when they were located in Winnipeg um, and very proud members of the organization when they were in Winnipeg. So that is the way of the world when it comes to uh, junior hockey. Guys come and go and are traded for massive amounts of picks. And um, wherever the money needs to be made, that is where a team will go to. And I can't blame them for that because... Um, that's that's what this is all about, man. That's why we're all here. Unfortunately, is that green dollar bill, um, or if it's if you're in Canada, it's pink, purple, and blue. Um, but uh, that is why we're all here. That is what everything is about. And um, yeah, um, so that is uh, the junior hockey talk we got here for a second. I did want to give a quick shout out to Team USA. Um, man, USA has really been the cream of the crop when it comes to international hockey this year. Um, we've noted and talked about and it's been bandied about amongst different analysts and podcasters and fans and Twitter users and Instagram commenters, all the likes that the United States is on the up and up when it comes to international hockey play. And we haven't seen best on best men's hockey in a very long time. I think we're getting close to seeing something that might resemble best on best in next year when we uh, see this potential four team, uh, four nations cup kind of deal thing, whatever that will entail with Canada, the U.S., um, Sweden and Finland, but we all know that this is potentially the golden generation for American hockey. Um, and it's only getting better, right? We have guys who have their sights set on realistic, tangible goals of the national hockey league, division one college, USNTDP, which I think has been a big boon for growth of hockey in the United States. Maybe that's another dive deep one day. Hopefully if we get someone that maybe played on the NTDP or even was a part of the organizational aspect of running the NTDP. I think it's such an interesting organization and idea that USA Hockey has done. There's no real other sport in this country that does this when it comes to 
having a Team USA for that sport, that that is your club team and you'll play for Team USA the whole year. I don't think, I know that there is no Team USA national team development program for basketball. There is none for baseball. There is none for American football, as that would be pretty silly in my opinion. But um, the way that hockey has been able to do it, uh, you see a lot of countries trying to emulate the style of the NTDP lately with hockey in their own countries you see it among some of the um i don't want to say lower level nations because they're not lower level nations um but but teams that are maybe just outside like the top 10 and top 15 of the IAHF international rankings they are really looking at the united states's model and structure of things and how they've been able to grow and i think i really truly think that the, the ntdp even for guys that don't play on the national team development program they um they are chasing it. They are comparing themselves to those players. They play against them in the USHL, and um, the, it sets like a, a high watermark for them because that is supposed to be the best collection of American talent at that age group, whether it's the under-18s or the under-17 team. Um, so I think that's just a big boon for USA Hockey, and this is all for me saying that the USA Hockey won another gold medal, that being at the Youth Olympics, 4-0 over Czechia, Canada coming in fourth in that tournament, and we talked a little bit about the three-on-three from the Youth Olympics. I don't want to spend too much time on guys that are uh, 14 and 15 years old because those guys' draft years are three years away, and we have a lot of time, and some of those guys may not even be playing hockey when all is said and done by that time, but I think the game has gotten to a point where those guys will still be playing hockey, but... Um, very interesting tournament. They only take, I, I didn't know this exactly, but I do know now that they take the top six countries for each, um, part of the tournament. So six teams for the men, six teams for the women. They're divided into groups of three, pretty straightforward. Um, the host country, South Korea got a bid for the men's tournament. And, um, I don't know that they came higher than six, but, um, the rest of the countries after the top six, those were the countries that played in the three-on-three tournament. So I think that's a good way of trying to um, ease in some of these countries into high levels of hockey and um, seeing what the competition is like and even rubbing shoulders like, yes, Spain did not play Canada or the United States, but they still got an opportunity to exist in the same village and be a part of the same um, tournament, whether it was five-on-five hockey or three-on-three hockey. Um, so... USA wins gold in that one. Czechia wins uh, silver. And uh, Finland takes bronze over Canada. And the women's tournament, this is, uh, I guess, a point of interest for me. Um, Sweden wins the tournament 4-0. And the team they beat was Japan. And we have Akane Shiga playing in PWHL Ottawa currently. She's the only Japanese player in the league right now as we talk about it. But... um, She's very dynamic. The The Team Japan for women's hockey has been steadily climbing and climbing and climbing ever since they've really understood the development route for how to do these types of things. And hockey in Japan is very different. I um, Man, all these great topics today that we just need to dive into further at some points. But the hockey development in Japan is very interesting. There is a lot of good high-end domestic talent that is formed there and harnessed there, um, both on the women's and on the men's side. The men's side is very interesting because you have um, high school hockey being pretty prevalent in Japan and even university hockey, which I didn't really think anybody would have guessed if you were thinking about Japan. But college hockey is not 
a small deal in Japan. And if you are a contending player, even for the Japan men's national team, they will look into the um, the college hockey system in Japan and try and pull guys from there that they notice are doing very well. Um, so it's a different uh, development path, uh, one that they try and emulate from the United States and Canada and apply to the best way that they can over there. Still intriguing nonetheless, but the fact that even at the youth level on the women's side, they are able to shock some teams. Like, I look, I don't think anybody really would have assumed that Japan would be in a gold medal game for hockey, for women's hockey, regardless of if it is Youth Olympics or um, women's national team or whatever it is under 18 or 20. Um, you have your countries like Canada and the U.S. that are really the uh, cream of the crop, the blue bloods of women's hockey. But then you have some of these other countries like Finland who have been a really consistent staying power when it comes to the international scope of women's hockey and um, Sweden who have had their ups and downs and I think they're really starting to find their footing again and some of these other countries. But the fact that Japan has really gotten to the point that they have, they are not even close to what they are um, on the women's side versus the men's side. Um, there's still a lot of growth to do on the men's side of things. So the women are very impressive. I think it's been a lot easier for them to uh, concentrate on the women's hockey and to try and... Um, make a name for themselves and carve out a spot for them in that space among the top countries in the world. Um, the men still have a long way to go, like I said, and it's going to be a bigger barrier to try and break into when it comes to the men. There is still a lot of Japanese talent that dot high-end junior hockey leagues here in the U.S. And, and in Canada. There are Japanese players playing in... Um, the Swedish Hockey League, the the Liga in Finland, there is um, Usado who currently plays in um, Torpedo with um, in the KHL. Um, he's a really good hockey player too. So um, I'm always going to highlight hockey around the world. I'm always going to uh, give a shout out to different things that deserve recognition because anybody that's really putting towards the effort into growing hockey and um, seeing parts of it grow all over the place I think is doing an excellent job right now. Obviously, a close friend of mine is a uh, is the head coach for the Chinese men's national team. Um, they will be playing in Olympic qualifying games next week in um, in Wales. They will take on um, they'll take on Great Britain. They'll take on Serbia, and they will take on Romania. I think I always keep forgetting that last country. If it's Romania, Bulgaria, Lithuania, I'm ninety nine percent sure it's Romania. So. Um, we will see how those games go, obviously, and um, I think it's just really cool that hockey is growing. It is um, it is expanding. People are coming from all over the place, and it is just a—I think this weekend, first of all, will be a good um, microcosm for hockey's place in the world right now. I think a lot of people have been under the impression that maybe— even a, a sports league like MLS has surpassed the National Hockey League. I don't fully believe that that is the case quite yet, and I don't think that it ever will be. Um, but I think it's important that hockey is uh, growing and developing, and not just in the places where it is popular, but the places that it isn't popular. It is not the most accessible game, as we have talked about and will continue to talk about. I hope in my lifetime I have the opportunity, the opportunity to even try and make hockey a bit more accessible for certain groups of people, but um, always good to see. Um, also coming across my desk here, good news for the Carolina Hurricanes in that Frederick Anderson has been cl cleared to resume on-ice activities. 
Um, that is probably very, very good news for both Freddie Anderson and the Carolina Hurricanes. He um, he was having some issues with some blood clots earlier in the season. The, uh, the exact quote was deep vein thrombosis and subsequent pulmonary embolism. So a bit of a... Um, bit of a concern i don't know that anybody um questioned whether um freddie anderson would return or not i know that's a bit of a scary situation when you're talking about blood clots and heart health and those kinds of things maybe when you look at it like a rich peverly situation that's scary stuff man that that is something that you should um never really want to push yourself through freddie anderson has had a long nice nhl career but i know that he um would definitely want to get back um, the quote here. I'm thrilled to, that I'm a step closer to joining my teammates and competing on the ice. I feel grateful for the help and support I've received from my family and doctors, as well as the entire Hurricanes organization. He's played in six games this year. He's four and one. Um, so the Hurricanes are in a good spot. They're 28, 15 and five. They are currently second in the Metropolitan Division as we speak right now to you on Wednesday morning. And one might wonder, I think... Uh, I think Nathan brought this up on Monday when he joined the show that who knows where the Carolina Hurricanes would be if they had some of even just a little bit better goaltending than the rest of the pack. Obviously, Antti Ranta has been carrying the number one loads in Freddie Anderson's absence. Um, Also, I see here Canucks signing uh, general manager Patrick Alvin to a multi-year extension. This is news to me, so I will be sharing it with you as it um, comes across my laptop and as I gather more information about it. So um, we all know that Jim Rutherford signed a multi-year extension with the Vancouver Canucks last week. Um, There is no um, set duration of time as to what this extension includes for Patrick Alvin. Um, We know that Obviously, uh, Rutherford and Alvin worked together when uh, Rutherford was um, GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they did a lot of good work there. Obviously, won a couple Stanley Cups. Uh, Alvin is the first Swedish general manager in NHL history, and um, he's made some good moves. You you started to wonder what um, who was really calling the shots in Vancouver. Was it Rutherford or was it Alvin when it came to trades like the Bo Horvat move that was a year ago? a couple of days ago, maybe even yesterday. Um, and so you have the Bo Horvat move. You have um, the JT Miller extension. You have uh, moves this year, like the Zadorov move and those kinds of deals. And you wonder how much of it, is it, how much of it is Rutherford and how much of it is Alvin. Um, we know when things were getting a bit loud last year that Rutherford eventually said that he was going to step back and let Alvin do more of the talking, but I don't know if doing the talking necessarily means you're doing the dealing. Um, so I don't know what that is going to be. I think Alvin is eventually going to um, supplant Jim Rutherford as the president of hockey operations for the organization whenever Jim Rutherford decides to step away from the game of hockey. Um, I think there's... Um, the big thing in Vancouver, obviously, is the Elias Pettersson extension. I don't know if having a Swedish general manager is going to help or hinder the ability of the Canucks to get Pettersson inked to a contract, whether that be long-term or shorter-term. My guess on the Pettersson extension is that it ends up being closer to an Austin Matthews-type deal where he only goes for five years. 
Um, but I think that that's important for Vancouver. And I think maybe showing Pedersen and even a player like Quinn Hughes, who is locked in for a bit more, but um, there will never not exist the possibility in the talk that Quinn wants to go join his brothers Luke and Jack in, in New Jersey with the, with the Devils. Um, but he is captain of the Vancouver Canucks, one of the top, if not the top defensemen in the National Hockey League. At least this season, he might be the top defenseman in the National Hockey League. And I think Vancouver is a very good team. Their window, if this core sticks together, their window is just opening. You have Pedersen, like I mentioned, Besser, who hit 30 goals for the first time this season. JT Miller looks like he's playing a different version of hockey than he has been the last four years. And, um, you know, you got a guy like Quinn Hughes, who might be not only the Norris Trophy winner this year, but maybe the Hurt winner this year. And then you have Thatcher Demko between the pipes. Um, their window is just opening. And I know a lot of people want to push all their chips in the middle and try and win a championship this year. But their window is just beginning. This is just the crack of the the door that they hope to bust down eventually and maybe win a Stanley Cup or two. Um, we know how vital it, Vancouver is as an organization to the rest of the National Hockey League. We know how much their fan base dominates Twitter and um, hockey Twitter in general. Um, so I, I think this is a good move. I think a majority of Vancouver Canucks fans will be pleased with the re-signing of Patrick Alvin. Um I don't know how many moves you could look at and say this maybe wasn't the best move to make. I think all the moves that they've made really in Vancouver support a larger picture and a larger idea. Um, as I said earlier, they may they may look to move off of a piece kind of like Andre Kuzmenko, maybe try and bring in another power forward for themselves, maybe another center like that, or maybe even a piece on the back end, although I think that they like what they have right now on the back end when it comes to their top six. Um, so we'll, we'll see about all that. I think that's a good move for Vancouver. Um, obviously, like I said, no timeline on the extension as to how much it is. Although multi-year you'd have to think is more than three. So, um, I think that'll do it for us today. Um, interesting note about, um, interesting note about, um, PK Subban yesterday on the real Kipper and Bourne show saying that he might've left four or five years on the table. That's a really good interview. If you, um, haven't gotten the chance to at least see the clips from it. I know the, uh, audio on it is a bit, um, difficult to listen to, but, uh, PK Subban talking about his decision to retire from the national hockey league a bit earlier than most people would have believed PK Subban would be playing to join the ESPN analyst team. That's not really a hockey move. That is something that you might see in football or basketball, maybe not even basketball. I feel like basketball guys, really, you got to pull them off the court sometimes. Um, but football players will definitely walk away maybe from an opportunity um, on the field if it meant an opportunity off the field. Um, so you don't really see that a whole heck of a lot when it comes to um, when it comes to hockey. And so for PK to say that he might have left four or five years on the table is a very interesting point and the fact that also in the interview i'm not going to uh steal their work entirely but uh it was probably one of the more insightful answers i've ever heard when it comes to a player talking about the candid candid man that's a word candidness of their um retirement and what it looks like you know a lot of guys sometimes feel like they still could be playing out there and don't get me wrong i personally still feel like pk suban could be playing out there this year right now helping a team whether it's um as a five six maybe even a an occasional fourth defenseman in the lineup um i still think he could be contributing as that at that level but 
part of the answer that really uh, got to me and also made me think a little bit was the fact that he said he wants to be remembered a certain particular way. He wants to be remembered as the P.K. Subban that was the 1-2 that won Norris trophies, scored electric goals, and brought the Nashville Predators to Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final against Sidney Crosby, as he mentioned, um, where they lost, but they were without their top-line center and top-goal scorer that, that year. And um, you have to imagine what that series would have looked like if things were a little bit differently. And... Um, what hockey might look like and what P.K. Subban's legacy might be. Is he a Hall of Famer or is he not a Hall of Famer if he ends up winning that Stanley Cup over the Pittsburgh Penguins? But um, that was just an interesting point of conversation. I think P.K. is doing an awesome job when it comes to the media side of things. When we're talking about growing hockey, I think that's going to do a lot to just bring more attention, more eyes to the game of hockey, more people taking a look at things and really appreciating the game for what it is. Um, PK Subban is obviously somebody where a lot of, uh, different people might have the opportunity to look at PK Subban people in the black community and look at him and be like, Hey, that guy played in the national hockey league. I can go do that. And I want to go do that now. And here he is telling me that I can and making it more of an enjoyable, accessible game where maybe I didn't know so much about it before. Obviously PK's places on ESPN plus, um, that is an excellent series that does a great job of breaking down some of the historical nuances of the game and, um, going in depth of it for the hockey lovers and also sticking to a base level of things for maybe the hockey newbie that is just getting into the game. So um, P.K. Subban is doing excellent things in retirement. He will continue to do so as a voice for the game. And he said as much in that interview on Real Kipper and Bourne um, that um, he just wants to help grow hockey. And if he feels he can do that off the ice better than on the ice, then that is what he will do. So... Um, Last thing here before we let you go and catch you again tomorrow morning because we know Brendan wants to go enjoy the rest of his day is uh, Akim Aliu, who um, we've heard recently has hopes of rejoining the professional hockey sphere. Um, I think he's done a bit of research and work in the stem cell area of treatment for some of his injuries. I know he's had a bit of uh, a bit of injury trouble over the uh, the chunk of his career that uh, has gone largely unplayed the last uh, good handful of years. Um, but this is an interesting, and I may have more on this tomorrow when we talk about it. This is just something that I am looking at and trying to skim through now. So this is um, a Kim L.U. had high hopes for Kim Davis. And apparently the tone of that has changed. Um, this is the quote in a recent interview. This is an article written by, actually, we don't have an article. It says the Canadian press. So, um, no author tagged to it. So I'm sorry if I do not give you the credit that, uh, you deserve whoever wrote this and found this information out. But, um, Akim Aliu on Kim Davis, quote, extremely disappointing. Kim Davis without Gary Bettman on the call versus Kim Davis with Gary Bettman on the call are two different people. She has missed a massive opportunity to come in as a woman of color and for once be in a position of power in hockey. She uh, started with the NHL in 2017, been at the forefront of its uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives. She... Um, declined to address his criticisms when contacted by the Canadian press. Um, so her response, she says, I've been in the business of change work in major corporations for 40 years. I don't need to be affirmed by Akeem. What affirms me is progress. The point at hand is young people and growing the game. I thought that's what the HDA was about, not talking about what I am doing or not doing. 
So that is very interesting. We obviously um, know with the um, All-Star Weekend in Toronto that the HDA is doing a Winterfest. Um, so that is an event that is separate for... Um, that is that event is separate from anything that the NHL is doing this weekend. The event is aimed at highlighting the importance of diversity and inclusion in hockey. Set for Toronto's Trinity Bellwoods Park. Um, th like I said, it's not involved with anything that the NHL is doing. The HDA is not involved with the NHL at all. Um, so, um, yeah, we will we'll do a bit more research on this, and we will uh, we'll we'll get to the bottom of this. Maybe we can get a bit more um, information about this. This dialogue going on between Akim Aliu and um, Kim Davis. So we will see about that. Um, sorry to end on an odd note, one that I don't really want to know a whole heck of a lot about, and we'll have to do some more digging after we get off air. But um, one that might, uh, I don't know that it's going to put a damper on the weekend because I think this is a weekend that everybody's looking forward to. There are a lot of positives going on, even in the space of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The uh, Carnegie Initiative, I, I know Rain Carnegie, um, so I know the work that he does and the work that he's been trying to do, um, obviously getting his uh, grandfather Herb in the um, Hockey Hall of Fame was a big sticking point and point of um, emphasis for him, and um, he ended up doing that and achieving that last year, um, so I got to speak with him in the early goings of that and get to know him in the early goings of that endeavor and to see him do that, and I think... And I think that um, the Hall of Fame speech by Bernice Carnegie is um, one of the, the best Hall of Fame speeches we've ever seen when it comes to the Hockey Hall of Fame. So uh, I think that'll do it for us today. We will end it on that note. We're going to bring Avery Lewis McDougall on later in the week. We'll get a feel for the NHL All-Star game and the vibes and the festivities and the draft and the women's game and all of that fun stuff and what that's going to look like. The skills competition Friday night. We'll get uh, Avery to hopefully preview that for us Friday morning and... Um, we will see you all tomorrow morning. Three games on tap tonight. They're all good ones. We're all looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you to Brendan for coming out. Um, yeah, and uh, new episode tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow morning to talk to you all. Leave five stars. Leave a review. Tell us we're bad. Tell us we're good. Whatever you want to do. Keep in mind all the mistakes here were mine today. Not None of them were Brendan. So uh, we will catch you all tomorrow. Enjoy the hockey. Last night of hockey.